You're listening to the Traffic and Leads Podcast, where the leading SEO, pay-per-click, social media, content marketing, and email marketing authorities come to share their secrets. Now, please welcome your host, online marketing expert, OneClick Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another awesome episode of the Traffic and Leads Podcast. Today, I have an expert web designer on the line. His name is Ben Siegel, and he is the owner of Versa Studio. He has 15 years of professional web experience and handles project management, web design, and development. He specializes in the Expression Engine CMS and enjoys showing clients how painless website updating can be, which we all know is a real stretch, so we'll have to see if he's telling the truth or not because web design can be a real pain sometimes. So, welcome, Ben, to the Traffic and Leads podcast. I'm glad to have you here. Thanks, Lindsay. Great to be here. Sure. So, tell us a little bit about Versa Studio, what you guys do over there, and what makes you different than my next-door neighbor that does web design. Ah, well, we have six advanced degrees in Photoshop, so you know we're on top of it. So we do uh, web design planning, design and development for small business and organizations. And I'll say from time to time, if I'm talking with a a client who will just say is a little difficult, sometimes I will say, okay, well, here are three of our respected competitors. And there are lots of folks out there that are doing good work. You know, it's not just us. It's not just... Uh, company A, B, or C, but what I'd like to think sets our work apart from, from many others, not all others, is that we take a much more planning and collaborative-oriented uh, approach. So that means developing and having and following a thorough plan for building a site, but also working with clients to really dig in to assess their needs, the needs of their customers, and really build something that aligns with their business goals as opposed to something that looks really good but doesn't do that or is developed in the latest flashbang technology, but still misses the mark on, on a lot of key things. So that's where we like to, to focus our attention. And I'll tell you, it's not for everyone. There are some folks who just want a more assembly line approach. They don't have the time to think about things or don't want to take it. And uh, that's why we don't you know, take on every possible gig that comes our way. That makes sense. So let's apply this. So uh, what I like to say, so this is the Traffic and Leads podcast, obviously, and I always like to believe that your website, your corporate website is definitely like the cornerstone of all traffic and leads generation for anything you're doing, regardless if you have a 100 landing pages or running a million PPC ads. If you, you definitely need a very strong cornerstone website, and that is your specialty, wouldn't you say? Indeed. Awesome. So... Um, so since it's the cornerstone, then obviously you wouldn't want a cornerstone without doing some, you know, without doing a bit of planning. So tell us a little bit about why it's important to plan and what kind, what that phase looks like before you guys even like hit up your designer for some pretty layouts. So there's a couple of metaphors that that I'm fond of using because, I, as many of your listeners probably know, when you're when you're offering a service as opposed to a, a physical product or as opposed to a service that people can see you doing, like you can see the plumber under your sink getting greasy, maybe cursing a little bit as he or she tries to fix something for you. When you're, when you're offering a service, sometimes the, the work is essentially invisible. Um, so as far as the, the planning side goes, we really focus on developing a proper plan first before building anything. Um, and it, this comes from much experience of doing sites where it's it's basically the you get a lead and there's a proposal scramble where you throw something together that you think addresses the client's needs. And then it's yours and two or three or five or, or heaven forbid, 10 others. And they're making some comparisons and maybe you get the gig and if you do, you know, you celebrate. And then you get started, 
but you don't have a plan. You have a proposal, but you don't have a plan. And what often happens then is things just go south and no one is happy and the website you end up with may work okay, but it's not really aligned with the, with the business goals. So our approach and in, in the book I've written as well, we look at planning as a foundation for doing this kind of thing rather than as a sort of an afterthought or a, well, maybe we ought to do some planning. So when you send out that price quote, since I'm guessing a lot of the requirements come out during the planning phase, then are you just sending out price quotes for the planning phase? And then you'll send a secondary price quote for every other requirements that came out during said phase? That's uh, that's pretty close. I guess there, for, for many of us, there's an ideal way we'd like to work, and then there's the reality of it. Uh, the ideal way we'd like to work is to kind of do everything that we can do for our clients that, that's in our wheelhouse. So, for example, if someone needs an Android app or an iPhone app, we don't do that and we wouldn't try and we would refer that or say, you know, that's not something we can do for you. If they need, if they happen to need print brochures or business cards or uh, landing pages, we would want to do that. And ideally, we would do everything really well, not missing anything. That's like starting with the foundations of planning and also if they don't have a good brand, developing a good brand. In reality, if we're lucky, maybe we get to do a third or half of that stuff. Um, but starting with a needs assessment process, the ideal is to have someone hire us for, for this process before we, before we talk about design or development or we start writing any code, is just to do a thorough assessment of them and their customers, really see where they're at, and then come back with that. And that's often eye-opening for people. And along with delivering that, at that point, we can often offer a, a good, solid estimate or proposal for the actual work we're going to do. What usually happens is that whole first process is skip, and it's just, here's a proposal. And so that's what we're, we're trying to get away from as much as we can. Sometimes you can kind of compromise and do something in between, like a, I did something recently where I called it a strategy session. So I sat down with this, this client for two hours and then spent another few hours writing up what we talked about, doing a little bit of research, looking at some examples in their industry, and just doing sort of a mini version. It wasn't comprehensive, but at least gave us enough foundation to know we were on the right track when we, or we would be on the right track when we started building something. And from that also, I can offer a proposal with a, with a number in it, because ultimately people do want to see a number and know what things are going to cost. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to expound a little bit on this needs assessment thing and why it matters and kind of the process that you go through in determining a client's needs. Certainly. So the first thing is, uh, why do these? Well, kind of as I alluded to, if you, if, you don't, if you don't do any planning, if you don't have a plan, then when you go to build the thing, uh, I'll jump to the house metaphor here. And this also speaks to um, avoiding doing what's called spec work or work for free. So I, I love this old joke and it applies to a number of fields, but I like the architect version. So the architect goes in to, to meet with the board of this company. And everyone on the board has all these ideas for the new facade, the new building they want to put up. And it's kind of a big deal. And they, they bring the architect in and she listens patiently for 30 or 40 minutes to everyone's ideas. She says, okay, okay, I think I, I think I got everything. Goes off in the corner and sketches for another 10 or 15 minutes. Meanwhile, the board members are eating their, their fancy food and drinking their champagne. And she comes back and says, okay, here, here you go. Here's a, you know, a first look at what this building would look like. And Everyone is ooing and aahing, saying, oh, this is amazing. Wow, you captured everything we talked about, and the style is great. This is wonderful. And they're all thrilled, and, and the CEO is walking her out and says, you know, this is really great work, but i, I got to ask you, like, you were only here like an hour or two. $10,000 for an hour or two of work? And she said, $10,000 for 40 years and an hour of work. Yikes. 
So we're, gotcha. we're doing work yeah, based like on that. the value uh, that we bring from our experience doing this kind of thing before and building up years of experience working on things. So that's something I always like to uh, like to point out. So getting back to the, the kind of uh, house model. So you don't build a house without a blueprint. And you have to know a whole bunch of things from number of rooms to building materials to like even if someone has no idea what goes into building a house, when you start talking about these things, they know exactly what they are. What kind of carpet, what kind of ceilings, what kind of this, what kind of that. If you don't know any of those things and you bring the construction crew in, they're just going to stand there like, well, we don't have a plan, so you want us to just start digging? <laughs> right, right. So I like to, you- to share that with clients and kind of say, we, we want to do the blueprint for you and we want to do it right. And only when we have one will you then know what you actually need and, need and what we're going to build for you. That makes sense. So can you give me an example of maybe three or four questions on that needs assessment test? Yeah, well, actually there's more like a hundred, but I won't, I won't be Give me a few. Give me your faves. Sure. So uh, we break these into a couple pieces. Um, the first piece here is the company. So what is their mission statement? When were they created and why? We want to learn about Who's in their organization? What are the roles? Is it a six-person company that runs really lean? Is it a 100-person company with, with three buildings? Uh, what kind of marketing staff do they have? Do they have someone who is, shall we say, on the clue train about marketing? Or is it someone who is the marketing and the HR uh, and the maintenance person who just wears many hats and happens to do all three? Um, how is the company perceived in the market? What do people think of them? Uh, we want to look at their competitors, their business goals, and then the key question, this can endear you to some folks, is what is the biggest challenge facing your business? Like asking them, what's difficult for you right now? And sometimes folks will ask, well, why do you need to know all this stuff? Well, the answer is we have to know this stuff because we want to understand your business because that's who we're promoting online. We need to know about you. And we also want to align everything with a business strategy. So as a designer, you might assume that a company's goal is just more sales. And everyone wants to make more money. But some cases may be happy with the revenue they get from sales, but maybe they want to shift into customers with higher budgets, or maybe they want to shift into a different market because they enjoy it more, or it's more lucrative, or it means they get to hire more people. So there's all these uh, these motivations that you may not know about if you just make assumptions about, oh, they probably just want to make more money like everyone else. Mm-hmm. So looking at the mm-hmm. company is a, a key piece. Looking at their current marketing, everything they do online, print, digital, trade shows, showing up at events. Even if they sponsor the Little League team, you know, you want to know what they're doing. You want to know what's working and what's not, what they've tried in the past. Have they tried newspaper? Have they tried radio? And then very critically, how are you measuring ROI? So I talked to a, a gentleman a few months ago who targets the absolute other end of, of the spectrum as we do. He targets very, very inexpensive websites for businesses. We're talking like 600 to $1,200. He travels around uh, the rural parts of Wisconsin, but you could do this in any rural area. He goes in with a pitch straight in to talk to the owner of the business, and it's on the spot. Sign up now. I'll take your pictures. We'll write some copy. He throws everything together in a very short of time and is all thrown into WordPress in an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's fascinating to me that, that this works for him. It's a different market. But I did ask him, I said, how do you measure the ROI or how do you show your clients ROI? And he said, we show them their Google Analytics. And I said, so you just show them their traffic? He says, yeah. Well, that's not ROI. So their business is out there thinking, hey, our, you know, our, our site traffic's up by 10 or 20% since we did this. That means we have better ROI, or that means it's working. No, it doesn't. 
just means more people coming to your web pages. Well, so what? If they're not turning into sales or they're not turning into leads, then so what? You know, it, it doesn't have any meaning. So there are a lot of folks out there that have they're using technology for something. They're thinking it's kind of there doing its job, but they're never measuring whether it's doing its job, so they don't know. So finding that out makes that sense. stuff so, is, is really critical. Yeah, so let me throw that back on you. How do you so you create this fancy dancy website that has perfect branding and perfect messaging and on par for marketing perfectionist, how do you measure ROI on your website? So we could do that a couple of ways. Uh, obviously, we're, if we're running Google Ads, um, we can track it that way. We can look at key statistics, not just you know how much traffic, but how long are people spending on the site? Are they filling out the contact form? I would say on the digital side, we probably use all the kind of measures of lead generation that uh, you and your, your audience are likely to use. So like we don't have anything you know, reinventing the wheel there. On the softer side of things, we would do things like potentially setting up a, a certain phone number that they call from the website so we can track those calls through. Always asking clients, you know, how did you hear of us? Um, you know, have you seen the website? Really trying to track down what the whole process is of someone coming in. And now, honestly, to, to be fair to the argument, there are some cases where you can't really know. Like we don't have, we don't have, it's not minority report yet. We don't have like perfect knowledge of who mm-hmm. the customer is and how they're coming in. But even something like a restaurant, uh, if you redo a bunch of your marketing and people are coming in, the waiter can ask them, like, how'd you hear about the restaurant? And if they're, if the clients, if the, uh, uh, the diners are patient, you can say, did you find us on Yelp? Like, what were the reviews like? Really dig in a little bit and, and you can even trace the path of, their first hearing about the restaurant all the way up to the to them coming in and you know coming in for Valentine's dinner. You can't do that with everyone, but sometimes you can figure that out and then you start to get a sense of not only the hard numbers but also like the trends of who's coming in and why and what drove them there. That makes sense. So you guys so do you specialize in paid marketing and traffic generation or do you only do the website? We only do we we pretty much stick to website design design and development. What we've found, I think this is more our niche, the kinds of clients we have are not directly focused on lead generation in a sales way. Uh, I think, so some of your listeners may be doing e-commerce stuff. That's, mm-hmm. E-commerce is probably the best place to say, we did this site, we did these landing pages, we wrote this copy, we had these ads, we tracked it all and it increased sales by 7%. You know, that's awesome. But right. for something like a nonprofit um, that's more about communicating with its members or an event like Midwest Horse Fair is one of our clients. Um, for them, it's more about uh, maintaining a presence and making the information really clear and trying to improve on that uh, year after year. But that doesn't mean the, the process we follow isn't the same. It's just that the goals are different. They're not, it's not so much about we have to sell more widgets. It's more of a, it's a little of a softer sales goal, more of a communication goal. Do you guys do any like email, like uh, free giveaways, or or if you can't get their phone number, you try to get their email so you can nurture them through a email nurturing auto sequence or anything like that? I have done some of that for my own work, including for this book. Um, but generally, for our clients, that's not where that's not where we focus. I see. Okay, cool. So you'll measure ROI if like they've had a website before. And like, because you're not touching the traffic, it's the same traffic coming in. You're just saying if we update the website and like the calls increase, then we know we have succeeded. If the calls increase, if the if the traffic increases in a meaningful way, so not just you know we had a 
a few more visits to the site, but oh, look like people are are staying on the site for twice as long, or they're mm, downloading more they would, more resources yeah. or more white papers. And there's also the the somewhat subjective criteria where if we hear from a our clients customers that oh we've gotten a lot of compliments on the website and people said it's easier to find things, even though that you can't necessarily measure that kind of soft data as like oh that means you guys are getting rich now you can say like that's those are some validators that we're meet, reaching our goals because it, it it also goes to you know if something if something is broken or doesn't work people get mad and sometimes they complain or they stop using it if it works really smoothly they don't say anything because sure it's that. like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever used hipmunk i'm sure some of your listeners have uh-huh. It's a it's a search uh, aggregator for airline flights and other stuff, and it works so smoothly and so slickly that people just go to it. I just go to it and use it, and like, great, I'm done. I don't have to send them a thank you. I did one <laughs> saying, hey, this is awesome. You did a really good job. This just makes my life easier. But I think most people just take for granted, like, oh, this works great, and so they yeah. know it's working. But there's no there's not a lot of positive feedback. It's really when things go horribly horribly wrong that people will start calling and complaining. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I want to get into talking about your book in a bit, but um, just back to the whole website. Talk to me about uh, the mobile friendliness, um, how you guys test for that, if that's a big consideration for you guys, and kind of how you handle that and how your life became so much more difficult with the advent of the mobile device. Ah, good questions. So one of the parts of the needs assessment we like to do, that is assuming this client has an existing website, is a technical review. So I won't get super techie on here, but I'll give you a few uh, items. We want to assess their current website technology. So that means they, unless they're in the dark ages, they probably have some kind of CMS, might be WordPress or Drupal or, or one of the, the hundred, uh, hundreds of others. We want to look at their platform. Obviously, we want to check if the site's responsive to mobile devices. Um, if it was built in the last, say, five years, it may be. If it's older than that, there's a good chance that it, you know, it wasn't, wasn't done that way. Do they have regular backups? Uh, who's responsible for maintenance and support and updating the software? And is it tied in with third-party tools? So this is really important. Uh, a lot of clients will have a site that they have this sort of digital ecosystem. It may be really simple. It may have 10 different individual moving parts in it. And oftentimes it was set up by someone or some group and they kind of went away or lost touch. And now they all have all this stuff running and nobody really knows how it fits together. They don't really only know, again, like when it breaks, then they call someone or then they get annoyed. But if it just runs, they don't know. So finding out that they're using Olark for live chat or they're using WordPress, but it's five years out of date, figuring all this stuff out is really important because as the design shop, you may be responsible for supporting this in the interim while you're building a new thing. Um, or they may want to keep some of the, the widgets or tools that they have, and you have to think about how you're going to integrate those into the new site. We find this all the time. We, we're going to do some maintenance on a site. We go over to the server, and there's this huge pile of stuff, and we have no idea what it is. So now we have to track down the person who does know what it is and see if it's being used. So it can be very, can be rather involved. As, as far as the responsive side, uh, what we like to do is just, the first thing is just you know pull it up on a modern phone, and that's easy. Like, is it responsive? That's usually uh, you know a, a, a yes-no thing. But then what's responsive, we also get into... Like, how fast does it load? Are we loading huge slideshows on a, on a phone or a tablet that may be on a slower connection? So considerations like that, uh, important for mobile. And I'm sorry, I believe you asked one other question. Oh, yes, you asked about how things have gotten so much harder. So I'm not sure the, 
how many of your listeners out there have uh, are strong in design or development background. But I'll say if you go back to the early days of the web, so we're talking like mid mid 90s to around uh, 2000, we had something called the browser wars. So you had uh, I Internet Explorer on Mac, you had Safari on Mac, you had Internet Explorer on PC, you had uh, Firefox on PC, you had all these different browsers, and each one responded a little differently to the same code, which made developing kind of a nightmare. And gradually they standardized, so it's like a lot less of a headache right now to get things to work across those browsers. But now our new problem is devices. So you have to make a site work on everything from, say, a two- or three-year-old Android phone with a tiny screen all the way up to someone's 60-inch plasma screen TV and everything in between. So it's not just building for the desktop anymore. And that's, that's created a lot, of, a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities. I am uh, kind of an outlier. I do not like getting on the web on my phone. I do not like trying to do business on my phone. I won't do my banking there. I won't like to, don't like to do maps. None of that stuff because the screen is tiny, and it's, I don't like fussing around with my fingers. I like to sit down at the computer and do some real work. But I'm not the rest of the world. And in the States anyway, in developed countries, people use their phones for an awful lot. So you have all these new concerns about how do we make this thing work on this tiny screen with limited but also new capabilities. And that's... Uh, an ongoing challenge for designers to make that work. Yeah, and get um is it fair to say as part of your as part of planning that's got to be an entire section dedicated to what do we show on mobile and how does it look, Absolutely. right? Yeah, and that's important. In the design process there's there's too many tools to mention, but there are a couple different ways to do this. Uh what's been done very recently was just using Photoshop to mock up what a website, the home page and some internal pages look like on we'll just call it a big screen. So like a laptop or a desktop. You can still do that. You can also mock up for what does it look like on sort of the standard bearer phone, so like iPhone 6 or something like that. And that works, and that'll show people, uh, give them an idea of what the site will look like, but that doesn't show the interactivity. It doesn't show it at all the different sizes of my tablet and your tablet and someone else's tablet and the phablets and, and the, the televisions. So there are other ways to work in uh, in some more interactive tools where you're kind of laying out the pieces, and then you can actively resize a window and see, oh, here's how it'll shrink and grow on the phone, and here's what will appear and disappear on the tablet. Um, there, there are too many tools to mention, but there are a lot, of, a lot of ways to do that to show both your internal team how the site's going to play out on these different devices, but also give the client an idea of, okay, so just so everyone's clear, when we're on the phone, we're losing this big, amazing slideshow you love so much because it takes three meg to load, and it's making phone users impatient. So showing all that stuff and planning for it is uh, an integral part of the process. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. In the last few minutes that I have you, I want to talk about your awesome book, which is called Website Planning for Small Business. Tell me about that book, where to buy it. Tell me all about it. So this book was written, as I, I mentioned uh, at the beginning, uh, of a frustration with failure to plan. And so I, I'd written a version in 2011 that Smashing Magazine published that had a uh, some at least measured by the downloads did pretty well there. Of course, it's it's hard to know. Maybe some of your listeners have seen this. You offer something for free and everybody loves it, and you offer it for a dollar, and oh, I'm not paying a dollar for that. So you can sometimes yeah. have that problem. But it, it seemed to it seemed to speak to people, both designers and small business owners, about about these challenges and to give them a roadmap for planning things. And I wrote the new version to update it for responsive devices and to include a lot more information. And it basically takes people through the process from the beginning uh, in the needs assessment to assembling a team, content strategy, 
uh, into design and development. And it's very focused on the what you're doing and the, the how you're doing it to some extent, but it's not a guide to writing code or using Photoshop um, or using a content management system. It's more about understanding the process. I want it to be something that the the you know, overworked CEO could read in an hour or two and say, oh, okay, I kind of get how this works now. Mm. So we're not teaching you how to tinker with the engine in the car. We're kind of showing you how what the parts are and how they relate together to make the car go. And I'm guessing it, it, may, it allows you to be more informed in the entire process of you creating your website because you know how it should go and the appropriate questions to ask maybe and stuff like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I want people to have a, enough knowledge to be uh, to be informed participants. Like, this is kind of how I work as a, as a business owner. Um, I know CSS, I know HTML, I know a bunch of the, the, the tools that we use to build websites, but I'm not really an expert in any of them. I mean, I can still, you know, do some, I can put a donkey's head on a human in Photoshop, I know how to do things, but I, I'm not an expert in any of them because I can't be. I can't be an expert in six things and do them all. But I'm informed enough about how they work and what their implications are for something we're building that I can kind of speak in an informed way of about one to the client. For example, they want to do some crazy slideshow parallax scrolling thing. I know that that's a lot of coding. I know that it's tricky across devices. And I know that uh, it might not serve their business. And I can speak to that in an informed way without telling them, oh, this is the JavaScript you write to do this. And so hopefully you know, the book will help people understand the, the process and the framework for doing it um, without making them, you know, getting them bogged down in, in, okay, now this, you write this line of code to do this thing. Because that's, that's what you leave to the experts is the actual, like, writing. Coding. Yeah. Um, So where do we find your book? Uh, Versastudio.com, V-E-R-S-A studio.com slash book. Well, that's easy enough to remember. Um, Let's close off this interview with a quote from the book, which uh, you said, your website is the responsibility of marketing and not IT. Now, I know some IT guys that would... Definitely disagree with that. Why don't you expound on that? Ah, uh, yes. So, website is a marketing function. It's designed to market your business, like to sell, to promote, to communicate. Um, it's not about the server or your website isn't Java. Your website isn't Linux. Your website is a communications tool, just like a business card or brochure or showing up at a trade show. So, I mention this because we often find uh, companies where we go in assess their needs, propose something, and then someone IT, usually it's, I'll see it's their IT guy. Um, I'm happy to talk to women in IT, but it's usually a dude who drinks too much Mountain Dew. <laughs> and usually these po- people are wearing many hats and they're really stressed and they have their very opinion way of doing th- opinionated way of doing things. We're a Java shop. Like, well, the thing we're building doesn't run on Java. Well, we're not going to support this other thing. People will, they get really tor- can get really territorial about uh, about the website, thinking like it's something that they own, but it's not. They're IT. They support the technology. Now, to be fair to the IT people, in some companies, we'll come in and say, okay, we need X, Y, and Z technology on which to run your website. That's what we've determined. And the CEO will tell the IT person, okay, you're going to install and run this without giving them any, any resources to do it. So you have to look out for that as well. But we find in the vast majority of cases that 10 to $50 a month hosting uh, at, at a reliable host is really all people need, and all their I, other IT functions can run the same way they always have. It's just mm-hmm. when you get that person who says, like, no, we have to host this on a box in our business physically here so I can tinker with the box and I can own it, and you have to push back and say, that's not really, that's not really serving the business. That's just you wanting to 
have control of your box. Do you say that? Uh, no. No, <laughs> that's what I want to say. That's very brave. <laughs> we usually frame it in terms of this is you know this is hosting as a commodity service. They're the experts in hosting the software that your site runs on. It's completely separate from email and everything else that you do. Let us run it where it should run. You don't take your BMW to a Ford dealer. You take it to the BMW dealer for repair because they work BMWs. And most people get that, especially when they see the bigger picture of cost. I mean, if a business is spending thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on a website and they don't want to spend $20 a month on hosting, they're not not very good at math. And then you have a a problem. There's a disconnect there. Okay, that's awesome. Well, your book is awesome, sounds awesome, and it's something that every small business owner should read before they dive into their next web design project. So thank you so much for being on the Traffic and Leads podcast. Ben, tell us one more time where to find your book and anything else that we need to know about you. So versastudio.com, V-E-R-S-A studio.com slash book. And one of my claims to fame was holding the coolest party in sixth grade when I realized that what they had was just awful. So we got we got a good stereo, we got strobe lights, we got the lights <laughs> low, we got black light contest. It was fun. It was All in sixth grade. All in sixth grade. I like it. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. Another awesome episode of the Traffic and Leads podcast. I am your host, One Click Lindsay, with trafficandleads.com, where the solution to your slow growth is just one click away. You've been listening to the Traffic and Leads podcast, featuring online marketing expert, One Click Lindsay. Tune in each week to experience Lindsay's unique gift for helping entrepreneurs and small business owners accelerate the growth of their business by strategically getting them more traffic and powerful leads. To make sure you don't miss a single business building show, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and OneClickLindsay.com. If you know someone who would benefit from more traffic and leads, please tell them about the Traffic and Leads podcast. And finally, to learn more about working with Lindsay and her dedicated team of marketing experts, please visit OneClickLindsay.com. Now go and implement what you've learned. And we'll see you next week for another episode of the Traffic and Leads podcast. And remember, the solution to your slow growth is just one click away.